Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is... Joe Manis. And our special guest host today... Rachel Lipman. And our very special guest... Mary Ellen Ponder. The Chief of Staff for St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay. Have we had a Chief of Staff before? Yes, we had Rainford once, I think. No, we didn't. We didn't? Okay, okay. I think think we're breaking new ground here on the podcast. Yeah, Jason uh, keeps track of all the guests. Yeah, you nice. know, we've had we've had Mayor Slay on, we've had mm-hmm. Louis Reed on, we've had Darlene Green on, the trifecta yeah. of E and A right yeah. there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but the chief of staff, I believe, runs the entire city, basically, right? On behalf of the mayor, of yes. Course. Well, it depend- Well, you, in the old days, they used to have. This is before Slay's time, mm-hmm. which is like ancient history. There used to be like a chief of staff, but then the chief of operations. Yes, and we have a new chief of operations. Yes, yeah, Todd and, Walterman. Yeah. So, and fabulous. I think and some of it. Some of the duties, I think, have gotten shifted mm-hmm. a bit because, in the old, I mean, you're doing some stuff in the old days. The chief of staff didn't But before anyway. before we, we get into um, your biography, what is the chief of staff for St. Louis? What are they responsible for? What's kind of your basic job? Well, my basic job is to oversee the chief of operations, and he oversees, Todd Walterman oversees all of the mayor's cabinet members. So I'll oversee the strategy and the vision and the policymaking decisions and recommend those to the mayor and, and make sure that the advise the mayor on, on the right decisions to make, or at least what I think is right. And one kind of the different one difference that is um, different. Per se, between, suppose the differences that are the same. <laughs> you know, between like Mayor Slay and other mayors of towns is uh, Mayor Slay is a quote unquote strong mayor in that he appoints all the department heads and basically runs the city as basically the city manager. Whereas in Kansas City, uh, mayor, mayor Sly James is the mayor, but there's a separate city manager, which kind of gives uh, the mayor of St. Louis kind of an, an extra dose of responsibility and power. Although the mayor of St. Louis doesn't it. He doesn't fit the technical. Uh, That's right. Because of strong wear because there is the E and A. That's right. And in fact, on most fi- fiscal decisions, the estimate board, which is made up of the mayor, Darlene Green, and Lewis Reed, as it's a strong mayor with a twist, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so on most fiscal decisions, they have to. That's two, right. Mm-hmm. They have to meet on it, and two out of the three have to agree on it. So. That's right. Our budget is voted on by ENA before it's ever presented to the Board of Aldermen. Yes, which we've talked about many times on the show. But tell me a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got to this point in your political and governmental career. I started my career as a community organizer for Amer- with AmeriCorps. I was an AmeriCorps Promise Fellow, which is, if you, if you all don't know, is like Peace Corps in the United States. I, I started that in Kansas City at a nonprofit child advocacy agency, which I met you many years ago under Crystal Williams. I, uh, Joe, I met you there in Jeff City with Crystal Williams. Oh, okay. If you remember yeah. her. Who's now a Jackson County uh, yes. legislator. That's right. Yes, she is. She is. Still a very good friend and mentor. Uh, so I, I started as a AmeriCorps fellow, setting up after-school programs all over Kansas City, and uh, actually told Crystal Williams I wanted to be like her when I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) And she uh, got me to stay around at uh, Partnership for Children, which is where I started and worked on youth policy issues and lobbying in Jeff City on those issues. Uh, I heard a terrible rumor that you went to the University of Kansas. Is that true? I did go to the University of Kansas. I am a Jayhawk. One of our our editors will be very happy to hear that. He's also a Jayhawk. did you grow up here, and where'd you go to high school? I, I did grow up here in South County. I went to Corey Zoo Academy. All right. Yeah. 
So South yes. County. Okay, yeah. for your Coriezu. My daughter went to Viz, so I know ah, about the very com- nice. Now, yes, I know about no, the competitiveness. No, yes, very. Now, <laughs> even though I went to the University of Missouri, and <laughs> we're supposed to hate each other, my dad actually went to Kansas for a year. So my my uh, despisement, if that's a word, it's not a word, uh, <laughs> is is a l- tempered a little bit. And plus, we have a common enemy, and that is the University of Illinois. So let's all agree <laughs> that University of Illinois is the worst, and call it a day there. How, how did you kind of get acquainted with the mayor or the, the mayor's staff? Yeah, basically. how'd you end up in the city government? Yeah, so um, after Partnership for Children, I had a, uh, several jobs working in campaigns and lobbying in Jeff City. And uh, what finally brought me back to St. Louis was working with the AFL-CIO on their 2008 campaign for um you know the president and the governor yeah and finished up with them in november and uh michael kelly gave my name to jeff rainford who called me up and asked me to interview for the deputy campaign manager position for the mayor's 2009 campaign which was an interesting campaign because um that was a rare situation where the general election was actually the marquee event because former senator Maida coleman originally ran as a democrat she got out of the race when another candidate with the yes. name yeah. Coleman got yes. in. Yes. And uh, the the point is, though, uh, the mayor won pretty handily in both situations. I have to ask, now that uh, former Senator Coleman is um, kind of back in the governmental game mm-hmm. as the Office of uh, Community Engagement. Engagement, how has that relationship been between the mayor and her? You know, um, they were at a press conference together yesterday announcing the Summer Youth Jobs Program, which uh, started on a small scale under the mayor's leadership. And um, the governor really, uh, you know, talked with the mayor a lot about what can we do post-Ferguson. And the mayor talked to him about this small program that we had going that we were trying to bring to scale here in the city. And uh, the governor took the challenge and brought it to scale. I think it's 5,000 summer youth jobs. So the yes. mayor and Maida were there together and it went went well. Time heals all wounds, so mm-hmm. to speak. Did you also, were you involved in the 2013 campaign as I was, well? I ran that. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. Yes. A, another mm-hmm. successful venture. Yes. Uh, but what, were, what was kind of your, your varying roles inside uh, government? outside of politics? Inside uh, the mayor's office. Uh, after the 09 campaign, I was hired on to be a special assistant for the mayor, and my role there was to be the liaison to the Board of Aldermen. So I spent 2009 to 2013-ish uh, working with the Board of Aldermen on various, you know, every piece of legislation that went through there. And there were some fun ones, if I remember, that yes, went through at that were, point. there were quite a few fun ones. Like there was, a, there was a change to McKee's legislation that went through there. Mm-hmm. The first uh, piece of legislation I worked on was the Peabody. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Yes. Peabody incentives, yes, yeah. Yes, that was my first and you one. And you were also heavily involved in the changeover for the Community Development Block Grants, which I I'm was. sure was a lot of fun yes. as well. That that was fun. <laughs> in, in the way that that term is ever used right. on this podcast. <laughs> But, you know, you obviously were involved in many different things. Mm-hmm. And then when Jeff Rainford, I guess, decided to return to the private sector, you were picked as the chief of staff. You're, I guess, the first permanent female chief of staff. I think uh, Pat Patricia Hageman. Patty was an interim, interim. in the 09 campaign. But well, still a big a big change, not only because of that designation, but it's also kind of a generational shift as right. well. Mm-hmm. I think Rachel, myself, and you are kind of at a similar age mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, how does that change? In, how, how do you feel like that things have changed since you have become chief of staff based on those things and others? 
things? Well, it's officially my third week, so not too much yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, when the mayor hired me, he also hired Patrick Brown. We were six years younger than we are now, you know, when they hired us. So that generational shift and focus on a younger voice in the mayor's office has been there for quite a while. So you've seen things like the form-based code or more focus on pedestrian and bicycle-friendly policies, the the no-smoking ban. Those things are have You've seen those changes over the last six years, but... I think as far as my age goes with this new role, I think it just brings a, a different perspective. I don't think anyone could claim that it would bring a different energy. Jeff had so much energy, um, you know, it was hard to contain. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's just a different perspective. It, I, I just mentioned that because I think that, you know, there have been a lot of 30-something people within St. Louis who are trying to take a larger leadership role mm-hmm. in its future. And people who have moved here and bought property here. I know I'm one of those people because I bought a house in St. Louis Hills. I know Rachel lives in the city as well. You live in Webster Grove. Yes, so we I, won't, won't, we you won't, means me, Joe. Yeah. I live in Webster we, Grove. We won't sure. fault you for that. But I just mentioned that because it seems to be part of a, 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 a trend within you know, the civic environment of St. Louis. So how hard are you having to, to push um, the mayor on some of this? Or is it just, you know, you find a willing partner in him focusing on a lot of what makes sort of the younger generation tick? Very much a willing partner. You know, the mayor has two two children who are not children. They're they're not far in age from me. So, you know, they're in his ear pretty frequently. Like I said, we've been in his ear for six years he, he's very much a, a willing partner, and he understands that bringing the younger or youngish uh, population to the city is what is what is going to keep us moving forward and keep us um, moving in the right direction. Well, the mayor's kids aren't the only person who I think have noticed a change. Um, I talked with uh, St. Louis Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed for a separate mm-hmm. interview, and I kind of asked how the changeover in staff had affected things, and here's what he had to say. I think there's an opportunity to have a relationship where it's not just one side, it's not just, you know, our way or the highway. Because in government, it, it, you know, I think it's important to value opinions from all sides no matter what. Otherwise, you end up in a situation like what you see in the House and the Senate at, on the federal side. So, you know, obviously the mayor and President Reed ran against each other. I classified it as not necessarily a super friendly race, but not nearly as bad as the St. Louis County Executives Contest, which was downright nasty. In fact, when I was talking with him, he complimented Slay for running a really good campaign mm-hmm. and, you know, doing everything right, which is not something you usually hear when you lose a campaign. I guess, what do you kind of make of those comments and what is kind of the relationship like between the mayor and the board of aldermen, president and the board of aldermen? The, I, I appreciate uh, the president's comments on running a, a, a very good campaign. I, I helped run that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, especially in the last six months, it's so much more important that we all work together. Um, and, you know, the president of the Board of Aldermen, I've, I've had several meetings with him in the last three months about the importance of working together and showing a united front. And, and we're there, you know, um, 
the past is the past. You know, part of um, of our democracy is having um, competitive elections. And, you know, we have to move on for that. And for the good of the city, we need to work together. I have a great relationship with nearly every single member of the Board of Aldermen. And um, many of them call me into late hours into the evening. And, and, and I, I enjoy that. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that I noticed was that um, the mayor, at least lately, I mean, there has been this effort to try to kind of keep things calmer as opposed to when they were more combative. And as I said, way back when I covered City Hall in the late 70s, when it, they were practically fistfights. I'm yeah. not kidding. At, at, at ENA, ENA, and mm-hmm. at that time between the and again, three all there. the conflict between Reed and Slay, I thought was not even close to the rancor between Stanger and Dooley right. that had happened over the last two years. But it was still there was still conflict, mm-hmm. I would say. But Jill, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I think, but some of it can be helpful. I mean, said, but it's it's. I mean, I I I guess because I used to cover the Board of Alderman in the late seventies things always come to my mind when I'm over there because I just remember. <laughs> you could make an argument and I know that the president of, has, of the Board of Aldermen has told me that it may not necessarily be a good thing if everybody agrees on every issue. You may need mm-hmm. to have that give and take to get to a better result. So Right. Well, that's part of the legislative process. That's what I always say. Uh, whenever someone gets frustrated that a bill doesn't come out of committee at the first hearing, I, I started my lobbying career in Jeff City where it was rare to see a bill come out after the first hearing yes you know so <laughs> when i first started at city hall when when the, the first bill the legislation i worked on was the peabody incentives it didn't come out of committee right away and everybody was a little nervous about that and i said i've never seen a bill come out of committee the first time it's heard so you know i think that you know debate healthy respectful debate is important to to getting the best product and what is best for the citizens of st louis now i think joe wanted to ask about legislative yeah priorities. yeah yeah with mm-hmm. all that in mind um and especially given your background previous background mm-hmm. what do you see as the city's priorities right now this session with the with the general assembly i mean because there's been touch and go i mean it seems like the old aerotropolis stuff is sort of not or is i mean had been off the table or is there other things that are being looked at? Or are you guys still trying to push some sort of Lambert incentives? This year, right now, at this current moment in Jeff City, the the two biggest priorities are NGA. You'll see that um, Senator Richards just introduced a bill to give some incentives to um, attracting NGA to stay in the city. And NGA, by the way, um, I, I don't know what it stands for. But National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Thank you, Agency. I know there was there a reason go. we had you on the show today. <laughs> the random acronym. Thank you. It, it's currently in Soulard. They're planning to move to a different location, and the potential locations include a plot of land in North St. Louis City, South St. Louis County, and Scott Air Force Base. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show, but continue on the other legislative priorities. And then the other le- major legislative priority is uh, the prisoner reentry program. So in the last oh, couple of years, we've been able to get a line item through the Department of Corrections where they grant the city of St. Louis anywhere from 500000 to almost a million dollars to work on 
prisoner reentry. So when the state releases its prisoners every year, it's somewhere upwards to a thousand people that get brought to the city of St. Louis because they know we have the resources to to assist them. This prisoner reentry program helps us get into contact with these 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 offenders or people. 90 days before they're released. So we, we reach out to them and say, hey, we've got some resources for you. What can we do to help you reenter society and put you onto a path of success? When we do that, the recidivism, recidivism rate is greatly reduced. And so we know that it works, and we are asking the General Assembly and the governor to give us that line item again this year. And so far, Carla May has been a great uh, advocate for that, and I think we're getting there. Now, what's the mayor's relationship like with new with House Speaker John Deal? I mean, who took over just in January? It's very good. It's they have a great relationship. You know, the mayor understands the dynamics of Jeff City and and the importance of bipartisanship, and and they have a very good relationship. Kind of has no choice given how many Republicans. <laughs> that's there right. Are right. That's now. right. No, but, but but sometimes it does help. I mean, sometimes and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with party. Right. So I, that's why I was wondering. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, very good relationship. as you know, sometimes the city needs the legislature to act to do big type things. Yeah, because there was times back when Vince Shamel was mayor where, and these were when the Democrats were controlling Jeff City, where some of the Democratic leaders in Jeff City were some of the most combative ones in dealing with the city. So it's not just yeah. politics. There's that old rural-urban right. divide. Yeah. So oftentimes, I'll just throw this in there, the, uh, several times over the last few years, the mayor has gone on trips around the state to meet with Democrats and Republicans all over the state to build those relationships, to try to understand the rural concerns and help the rural communities understand the urban issues. So let's kind of take it closer to home and talk Mm -hmm. about some of the unfinished business before the Board of Aldermen that is Mm -hmm. definitely of concern to the mayor. The, The most notable thing to me is the Civilian Oversight Board of the St. Louis Police Department. There's a bill pending before the Board of Aldermen at the point of this podcast. Um, Rachel, just kind of give us a quick background on this situation. So this is a a bill that originally there was a version that came out in 2006 vetoed by the mayor because he felt it couldn't be done the way they had proposed at the time. The uh, police were under state control and there was just no mechanism for it. He also felt it wasn't fair to the two sides, either side, really, the police department or to the people trying to, to come in and make these complaints. Um, it's, I know it's been something that the chief has talked about since he came into office in, uh, I guess it was uh, January of 13, and they've been working on it, I would assume, probably since the bill got vetoed and they came to a version that could pass, um, mm-hmm. could pass the Board of Aldermen and be signed by the mayor. Um, no subpoena powers included because they thought legally they don't have the ability to do that because of the charter. So supporters are going to push for a charter change to allow for subpoena. But it needs just one more vote to get to the mayor um, or two more votes technically to get to the mayor. Uh, procedurally right now, if they don't add an extra date, they can't make any changes. And so it would have if, to go. If I'm not mistaken, the way this board is composed is, um, I guess, it's it's seven people from, uh, or yeah, seven people from different kind. The wards are all grouped together right. in, in that sort was, of that, districts. That was why yeah. I was hesitating. And yeah. I guess they're going to be, I guess the mayor appoints and the that's board right. of aldermen approves. Advisory consent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's kind of the backdrop. What's kind of the mayor's take on the current state of that issue right now? So, 
The current state of that is, as you know, it was second read just, what was that, February 13th. And between now and the last day of session, which is in April, sine die, um, we have a f- the, the police union has, I think, some amendments that they would like to offer to the bill. I've not seen those suggested amendments yet. As you know, as you probably know, Rachel, that they made some suggestions mm-hmm. in committee. This bill has been the bill that's before the Board of Aldermen right now with a few changes was a result or is a result of several months of negotiations between the mayor's office and uh, Alderman Terry Kennedy, who's been a proponent of civilian review for probably his whole life. Um, and so there's there's a there's a lot of ownership and pride in the compromise bill that is there right now. Now, as Rachel mentioned, though, um, this doesn't have subpoena power for structural reasons because you would have to have a charter change. Is correct. that correct? That's correct. I, I'm going to play a clip right now, and I want to just be clear to you and our audience. This is Damon Lynch. He's a pastor from Cincinnati. I was talking with him when Ferguson was mm-hmm. talking about a civilian review board, and I want to make this clear. He's not talking about the St. Louis one, but I'm playing this clip because he's explaining why subpoena power in his city's case Mm -hmm. may have made a difference. So when the crime scene tape goes up, Citizens Complaint Authority investigators can go under it like anybody else and do an independent investigation. So we've had boards like the one they're proposing now with no power. So if they want to investigate a police officer and they call him in, if he says, I don't want to come, they can't make him come without subpoena power. Now, again, I'm well aware that there are structural barriers to putting in subpoena power right now. Even if the mayor wanted to support it, it's pretty clear you're going to need a vote of the city to do it. But just from a philosophical standpoint, um, what would be wrong with subpoena power if it was possible, if it was shown to be effective in other cities like Cincinnati? Well, I think, as you heard in the clip, he said that they've had civilian review boards without the subpoena power. So they they tried it without it first. And what's important, I think, for us is that we've had 150 years of state control. We're now into barely into the second year of local control. Of the police department. Of the police yes. department. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. And... Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of hesitation on a lot of people's parts of what this will look like. So the the argument is, is even if there were not a structural issue, let's let's get started with something and see where we go from here. You know, I, I think the police department and the police union and certainly the mayor uh, want this to work, want this to be fair to officers, want this to be fair to the general public, want this to be transparent. And we want it to work. So let, let's see how it goes without subpoena power. And I, I think you'll you'll see that there's a lot of compliance. With the, with the coalition that's needed to get this bill to the mayor hold together, do you think with some of the changes the police union's proposing? Or are you hoping to pick up people who may not support it now who, to uh, counteract those who might drop off if some of the police union changes do get proposed as amendments? I, I think the coalition will hold together. The police union wants to work with the coalition. So if there are any changes that are to be made that they want to offer, they're going to meet with the coalition before signing die. I don't think there are going to, going to be any surprises. 
So do you think that this will end up on the mayor's desk by, you know, the middle of the year, end of the year? What's kind of your prognosis for it? Uh, I'm hoping it'll be in April. Mm-hmm. Well, they'd have to start over if they don't get it to the mayor by signing die. And I don't really think anyone wants to kind of go through that again. No. It, just check our clips and see how this process is going <laughs> or check any news outlet as well. Right. <laughs> but let's kind of shift gears to something that I guess did pass a couple of weeks ago, the NGA situation. Um, again, Rachel, can you kind of give us, put us up to speed and, on that? And, and, and say what NGA means. National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm, I'm terrible at this. As far as I know, it's a defense, it's a defense department agency that handles a lot of mapping duties. Um, it was a piece of legislation needed to, um, make the site just north of pruitt Igo in the footprint of Paul McKee's project a viable option for this site. Uh, it enables the use of eminent domain with a vote by the Board of Aldermen on uh, property up there. I think a good portion of it is vacant, but there are some that are owner-occupied businesses and rental properties up there as well. And it cleared um, the last day before spring break. So just a basic question, why do you think it's important for the city to keep this facility within its borders? It's important for one major reason. It's it's 3,100 jobs. It's $2.4 million in earnings taxes. So if, if we don't get NGA to stay, that goes away. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a simple answer simple to a simple gets, question. Yes, right. So, and as and I there, under- are, there are more benefits to it. But. And as I understand it, they've made either concessions or changes now that until they know that the board or that the NGA, when the NGA makes its decision is when they would start doing the eminent domain. It was originally, as I understood it, that they needed it sort of cleared before they would even consider the site or before the decision was made. And that's changed slightly now? That has changed slightly. Uh, so we can go out and make some offers. Um, but yes, you're right. We, we, until they make their decision, that's when we, we'd have to go there. Now, one of the recent developments is St. Clair County, I guess, has offered free land, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. to the site near Scott Air Force Base. Um, that had to be something that got your attention, I would guess. How does that affect this entire situation? we're relentless you know that 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 they can they can put that out there but we think we have a great plan and you know the the president's administration and past presidents mm-hmm. have really uh, um, brought home the importance of staying in the urban core and so we're going to fight as hard as we can to keep it here now i want to play devil's advocate i'm not just doing this because i'm an illinois native but um i know that there's kind of been this tug of war with illinois officials to make sure the scott air force base stays open Um, for various years. Mm -hmm. And it's a big economic driver, not only for the Metro East, but for the region, you'd have to imagine, because I'm sure there are people in the city and the county and elsewhere that work there. Could it possibly be good for the region overall if it is located in Scott Air Force Base and that base is then kind of protected and taken off the, the chopping block because it has a viable attachment to it, essentially? I can see your point. It's important to partner with the with the Metro East. They are part of the region, but um, you know we need we need it development in North St. Louis as much as uh, 
the Scotty Air Force Base needs to be protected. I'm just shocked that a St. Louis City official is not advocating for for Illinois right now. <laughs> well, this, this, I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. This goes way back to the late 70s when they were talking, well, although this is a much minor, smaller thing, but when they were talking about building a new airport right. across yeah. the river in Illinois, which mm-hmm. was a big deal at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, but obviously when you're a St. Louis City official, you got to fight for Absolute, pretty much everything. Absolutely. So what happens to the to the south site? Then you've got the argument of it's just you're not it's not a value added proposition. You're just kind of moving jobs and not necessarily gaining them. Do you have any sense of what would happen or what the limits are on that south brewery, the site down by the brewery now? Well, just to clarify, NGA has indicated that they will grow their workforce. They're they're building this site if they choose St. Louis City, which I'm I'm hopeful they do. They they intend to grow and stay here for a very long time. Uh, as far as the south site goes, much like the process that they go through to decide where they where they locate the NEPA process, which I can't spell that acronym out for I you. I can't either. Sorry, okay, Jason. I apologize. <laughs> Something environmental, the, it, I think. It's the impact. It's not just the environmental, but the social impact yes. of, of the move to a new location, but also there's they have to do an, an, an assessment of the impact um, of leaving a space behind. Which I think is pretty standard when mm-hmm. they yep. do something like this. So that's that's going to be something that we're all going to be watching. And by we, I mean not only St. Louis City, but the entire region. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, I think you wanted to ask a question about bonds before we get to the Rams. I, I did. Um, there's a 200, about a $200 million bond issue pending with a lot of stuff in there that's kind of critical infrastructure um, needs, new a- new ambulances, new fire trucks, new snowplow trucks, and new everything. And uh, then about, I think, 40-something, 40 $40 million of it is kind of other miscellaneous issues. Um, what's the likelihood that that's going to be something that's passed to address some of these critical needs. And sort of the, the twist to this is it's a bill from the president himself, President Reed, is I think the only sponsor of that bill. So it's that ownership kind of fight. We want it to look like we want to, to put our priorities forward. The, the bill is on the informal calendar right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the that only just basically way... means it's the place to stash it yeah, so that right. you don't have it's to do stashed. anything with it. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so the only way that passes at the end of April is without making any changes. So you perfect the bill and then you suspend it for third reading without changes. The bill has to have changes because we've missed the deadline for it to go to the voters on the April ballot. So there it has to be amended. So, so this it's not happening so in April. So it's not happening in April. No. So this has got to start over it again. It has to start over. We, and do you expect there to have to be any kind of changes or what? do you have any sense of what it's going to look like when you start it up again in April? We will need to start over in April, even with the base. So um, the Capitol Committee, which is made up of members of the mayor's cabinet and uh, the president's office representative, and the comptroller's office have a representative on there. The Capitol Committee recommended $155 million in critical needs. Um, there are $400 million in needs, but these are the 155 that we must have. So from there, we have the ability to go up to $200 million. From there, we can work with some other important things like infrastructure for the Jefferson and Cast to in case we get the NGA there needs to be some improvements on the roads there 
So, so those things will have to be there. The, what you saw at the end of session, I, I think it'll look similar to that. We were in a good place with President Reed. We need to get back to some of the individual aldermen and see what other things they'd like to see maybe tweaked a little bit. Yeah. And another thing that we'll be watching in the months ahead. So our last topic before we let you go is the Rams. Yes. Um, as our listeners know, and I think I can explain the background because I love football. <laughs> um, the Rams and are... And have also covered the story. I've, right. Yeah, I've covered the story along with lots of other people. Um, the Rams are basically threatening to move to the Inglewood area, or at least we think so, because the owner is building a gigantic <laughs> privately funds, funded stadium, which was just approved recently. And um, it's put St. Louis kind of in a, in a weird position because, you know, the Dome is kind of this multi-purpose place where they play football in it, but they also host some pretty lucrative conventions. And now a proposal has come out to put a new open-air stadium on the North Riverfront. And, um, you know, the governor is on board with it. The mayor is definitely on board with it. L- organized labor is definitely on board with it. I'm sure the six or seven Rams fans that are left are, are sorry. I'm oh, a come Chicago, on, there's maybe a multiple of a hundred in there. I'm a let's, Chicago let's be Bears fan. I'm just kidding. We're absolutely like not a threat to you. Uh, they're not a threat. But the thing is, like, there seems to be, you know, I think there is a plan being put together, but there's all these different moving pieces that kind of change the dynamics, whether it be you know, the Inglewood vote or whether the Chargers and the Raiders are going to have a giant joint stadium. Or even Jeff City. um, Mm -hmm. Something like that. So what's kind of the status of the situation and how how confident are you that this this stadium deal gets done, basically? Well, first, I'd like to comment on the 100 or 200 fans of the Rams. Uh, we've had 11 losing seasons, mm-hmm. and just last year we packed the house at 88%. So, you, so, so, when so I we're say, doing all right. So when I say 100, <laughs> multiply that by like 100 or something Well, like that. hey, I mean, you know, I have – our family, we have we have long had PSLs. I mean, we're up in the yeah. higher area. And to be yeah. fair, the Rams' defense was excellent this year and won me several fantasy football games. Well, that's, there you that's go. wonderful. But, great. But continue. <laughs> We, you know, we have a great team in place that's working on this and and at a quick pace. Bob Blitz, Dave Peacock, they know what they're doing. They hired John Lloyd, who's worked on the Kauffman Stadium, the Bush Stadium, just did the renovation of Jacksonville. He's got experience working with the city, with the state, and with the NFL. I feel really good about what they're doing. And, you know, as you said, the governor and the mayor are completely committed to this. They're committed to making this a public asset. They're committed to making sure there's no new taxes for this. Mm -hmm. I I think we're in good shape. It gives us a great opportunity to revitalize another part of the riverfront. And like you said, it'll free up some space at at the convention center. We have six months out of the year that we can't that we lose major conventions. I wanted to ask about the public asset of it because one of the, I mean, it's still early and things could change, but one of the ways that they're proposing to change this is basically by, quote unquote, extending the bonds that are done for the state, the city, and the county, which are paying for the Edward Jones Dome. And there's been kind of a mini debate within St. Louis County and the state about whether there needs to be another, either another countywide vote or a legislative vote. And um, Steve Stenger, the St. Louis County executive, I asked him about whether there Mm -hmm. needed to be one, and this is what he said. If you're asking me the legal question of whether, under the current plan, county residents would need to vote, I think the legal answer is 
no. I don't think under the current plan that's been offered, they would need to vote. Now, I believe the city has an ordinance about public funding of stadiums. Does the mayor believe that if this plan goes forward and they want to extend the bonds, that the city would vote on this again? You know, we're really looking to Bob Blitz and Dave Peacock to develop the financing for this and, and, and give us the recommendation on what, what's the best way forward in, in financing this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know a number of the can- candidates, I mean, for various aldermanic seats have even said, regardless, that they would like to see a city citywide vote. Uh, I mean, has do you feel that there may end up being some sort of chorus pushing for it, whether or not it's legally needed or not? You know, there there very may well be, you know, with the candidates that are there. It depends on who, who wins and, and what comes out of that conversation and, and what packet financing package is brought forth. Yeah, because, again, I mean, it's 2015 right now. The stadium is not expected to open until 2020. The financing could change dramatically. Right. And what we're talking about now may be very different. So exactly. it is a little bit speculative, but it is the issue du jour. So we thought we would ask. And the Rams could get better. That's yeah. right. They, they could get better. <laughs> or they, they could move and we get another team in here. Yeah. I thought that, you know. The San, yeah. the well, that's what the mayor has said. Right. Yeah, th- that's that's going right. to be my last question. Like if the Rams end up leaving, you, st- you still end up building a stadium. Maybe you get a soccer team. Do you think it's possible that another team could move in its place? Absolutely. You know, we're, we're one of the top 20 markets and there's 32 teams. I, you know, we, we want to be an NFL city. Watch out, Chicago Bears. The St. <laughs> Louis Bears sound, sound pretty I good. I always right heard the speculation was Jacksonville, considering yeah. that their owner originally wanted to buy the Rams. I got to say, exactly. um, no disrespect to Stan Kroenke, who is a very successful businessman. But if Khan uh, in Jacksonville had bought the Rams, I think we'd be in a very different situation now because he's apparently in awesome owner of Jacksonville. But we'll leave it at that. I just want to thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. And um, to close us out, you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at jrosenbaum. You can follow Joe at... J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow Rachel at... R Lipman, L-I-P-P-M-A-N-N. And are you on Twitter or are you just on Facebook like a lot of our other recent guests? I am on Twitter, uh, M-E-P-S-T-L. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Until then, thank you for listening and so So. long. 